Good morning. Joining me now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, is our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. I hope you are having a, a, a wonderful, wonderful day. So, I, You know, I, I write a few newspaper columns and magazine columns each week, and I... You know, I'm writing at four four o'clock in the morning because I I don't want to go to bed till I finish it. <laughs> so I wrote two of them. One would have a photo of a painted lady butterfly, and the other would have a red admiral butterfly, and I reversed them. Oh no! So yeah, and I didn't notice it till it already been in. So you know, it's uh, yeah. It, I'm a guy, so I'm used to being an idiot, but oofta, you know. And, and of course, I'd put the caption in. The caption was right, but with the wrong photo. Oh, no. I'm I'm sure people are saying that and saying, what a dunderhead this guy is. Do you have to issue a correction now, or what? I I already sent one to all the papers saying... and with a picture of me saying, here is a dumb guy, and then my picture. So, Funny. it's. Uh, I mean, the world isn't going to tilt off its axis because I did this. But it's one of those where you just go, whoa, what was I thinking? And then I'm thinking it was 4 o'clock in the morning, and oh, I yeah. probably should have been in bed, as my wife uh, uh, heartily recommends from time to time. You're not going to stay up this late. Well, then, of course, I will. Hey, Al, when you retire, so is that what happens? You're like, I can sleep whenever I want. I can get up whenever I want. So I don't really have any schedule anymore because, you know, I try to keep a regular schedule or I'd be worthless the next day. So you must be in that I'm retired so I can do whatever I want. I don't know what retire is yet. Yeah. So one of these years, <laughs> maybe I will. So I, I don't uh, I don't really know. I, mine is I have X number of things to do. Ah. And I do have some uh, leeway there as to, you know, if I want to work 24 hours one day and get them done, I, I can certainly do that. But I do have uh, a pile of deadlines every sure. week that I need to get writing done. So the woolly bear caterpillar watch has begun. So folklore says if there's a, if the rusty band is wide, it will be a mild winter. The more black there is, the more severe the winter will be. Uh, you know, most scientists discount the folklore of woolly bear predictions, but boy, I look at them whenever I can see one. Uh, red leaves are on the sumac and goldenrods have become insect zoos. Uh, some blue jays have become bald because of a molt, and I watched someone bale hay. Uh, I've never baled hay just to listen to the metal arcs, but it would have been worth it. Uh, hummingbirds at my feeders, they're working around the bees at the feeders now. Seeing lots of soldier beetles. Uh, I heard somebody the other day call them leather wings, oh. and that's a, a great name. They're a relative of fireflies. Uh, soldier beetles larvae, they look like tiny alligators. Really? You know, I see thousands and thousands of those on my hydrangea. Uh, they, that seems to be their number one choice of where they go to mate. Yeah, and uh, I see them on uh, spotted bee balm, which oh. is a beautiful plant whose leaves kind of, the flowers are uh, a yellowish, mustardy looking thing, and they're okay. But their leaves, their leaves turn from green to pink to kind of purple, 
and they're just so lovely. And boy, there are these guys. Uh, soldier beetles are on every plant, not just one soldier beetle either, a whole mess of them. Uh, Tim Scott sent me a photo, and he said, what is this thing? It's a beautiful, beautiful insect, uh, handsome, uh, but I'm never crazy about seeing it. It's an adult squash vine borer, mm. and it's a day-flying clear-wing moth that some folks confuse with a large wasp because mm. it has kind of a wasp look. I look at them sometimes, I think, boy, they're kind of like a... A beetle and a wasp had a baby. They're just, but it's a clear wing moth, and they're really beautiful. But again, if you have squash, you're probably not doing a happy dance when you see one of these guys. Uh, thanks again to Brandon Irwin, who is uh, wearing a Albat Fan Club Manchester Chapter T-shirt in the photo. Does he get a prize for that? <laughs> he should. It's just, yeah, our, our, our sympathy, maybe, is what he should get. But that, that was awfully nice, Brandon. You're a good guy. Uh, Brian Smith saw a summer tanager in Eden Township in Brown County. Uh, Bob Williams saw a black crown night heron in Mauer County. Sharon Holser saw a yellow-billed cuckoo in Watton WPA, but that is in uh, Blue Earth County where she saw it. And Brian Smith also saw an American Avocet, um, a sleepy-eyed WTP, that's in Brown County. And American Avocets are just so incredibly beautiful. I um, traveled to Salt Lake City to speak at a thing. And I had a day off, so I went out to see all the American Avocets out there. And it was uh, worth the journey there alone. I saw a yellow-crowned night heron uh, uh, in Albert Lee along Fountain Lake, Edgewater Park. There's a little trail that you walk there. If you look up and you see the band shell on top of the hill, if you walk right down towards uh, Fountain Lake, there it is, and it keeps pretty regular hours, so it's there every day. A uh, listener, and oh, I, the last name was Kenny. I, I'm sorry, I've clipped off your front name, but the first name, but the last name is K E double N E. And he wrote, I have noticed that the cardinals are the last to leave the feeders at the end of the day. Do you know why? Cardinals are among the earliest visitors in the morning and the last to leave the feeders at dusk. Um, maybe they're, you all know about the Minnesota goodbye. Maybe they're just <laughs> not good at saying goodbye. You, you know, we we grab that doorknob and then we um, tell everybody, well, boy, I, I better get going. And then we're there for another half hour, 45 minutes. Maybe that Cardinals have that. Um <laughs> Why they like the day's edges, I guess, is a really good question. Maybe they feel safer then, as Cooper's hawks aren't active at either dawn or dusk. And we've all had company like that that comes really early and stays really late. And, uh, again, we've talked about this before where you have to go and uh, put your pajamas on and come back out, and they still don't get the hint. 
I've done a lot of cartoons with that. That's always the uh, always the husband doing that. Forgive my phone there. Surprised me. First time I've ever done that. I think um, it's usually in the cartoons. It's the husband is just put on his pajamas and is sitting there waiting for the people to leave. And um, it's I guess they don't like crowds and maybe the male. You know, he has that bright plumage. It appears dark in the dim light of dusk, so that makes him a bit more inconspicuous, so that would make predators less likely to get him. And cardinals, they often live pretty close to the feeders. They're in our yard somewhere this time of year. So that means they have a short commute home. So they can be in there really late and still make it home while they can still see a little bit. And they face less competition at the feeders at dusk. I have so a question. Or, oh, go ahead. Sure. I have a question about goldfinches, by the way. You mentioned groups of birds. We have been seeing so many goldfinches lately, and they are on my liatris plants. Yep. And so I assume they're eating seeds, or maybe there's some, I don't know what else they'd be eating on there, but they're just a whole bunch. Are they migrating? My husband was wondering. No, you have family units now oh. that are flying about, and a lot of our flowers are providing food for them. So they're gathering to eat there, and they are, um, Karen, they're vegetarian. Oh, then they are so definitely it, getting the seeds because they love the salvia seeds and the liatra seeds are just their favorites. And I see them on common mullen. Oh. They're out there just ha- eating away some of the seeds there too as well. So they, um, if they eat an insect, it's by mistake. It was <laughs> stuck to a seed or something, and they eat it. Uh, cowbird babies don't do very well in uh, goldfinch nests because uh, the, all they feed them are, are grain and seeds and that sort of thing. So they're uh, pretty strict vegetarian. I... Uh, Somebody said, Al, oh, I like watching squirrels. Do they ever fall out of trees? Uh, yeah, it was odd. I, I came out of a church in Iowa oh, not too long ago, and I'm walking out, and I just turned down the, the sidewalk heading towards the parking lot to get to my car so we can go where we're supposed to be going to meet up with the same people we just left in the church. <laughs> And all of a sudden, plop, a squirrel falls out of a tree, falls to the ground. It was a tall tree, and it bounced and ran away, appearing to have been unharmed. But I looked up in a tree, and there's another squirrel up there looking down at us. (laughs) So this squirrel's misstep might have been caused by another squirrel that was chasing it, or maybe it was chasing the other squirrel made a misstep. So occasionally gravity will overpower one. Gravity will win on occasion. And it's especially true when they are aided, uh, when gravity is aided by either injury or illness. Do squirrels get hurt usually, or was it like that one where they usually just fall and are unhurt? This one appeared uh, not to have a hitch in it get along as it ran away. It just took off like, uh, boy, I hope not too many saw that, and it just zoomed away it went. So, But is that it, typical? It, it, yeah. 
Oh, okay. It did bounce pretty good. It landed <laughs> on the grass and just kind of bounced up a little ways. And, uh, it didn't, I wouldn't say it landed exactly like a cat. You know, they always mm-hmm. say cats land on their feet. Uh, this one was probably maybe some feet and a little bit of a rear end or tail involved in the landing, but it seemed to, seemed to be doing well. Okay. Uh, why do rough grouse drum in the fall? And this is... Uh, this email is from somebody with a Rochester address. So they, uh, you get over that way, you see rough grouse. There's a, a lot of, a number of places in the state where you see and hear them. It's a great drumming sound. They get on a log and just drum away. But why are they drumming in the fall? Well, there is a period when the spring and the fall daylight are the same. And perhaps the grouse is tricked by the photo period and that triggers their drumming or maybe they drum in autumn to ward off potential competitors for their territory i I think it'd be one or both of those perhaps this one i'm hearing from a lot of folks this year karen why do our oaks produce so many acorns one year and so few another year the, one of the oak trees we have a lot of around here, at least right to where I live here, bur oaks. And they're white oak trees. The leaves have rounded lobes, and they have a fruiting cycle analogous to, uh, be analogous to an apple tree. Every spring, blooming female oak flowers are fertilized by the pollen from the male flowers growing on the same tree or nearby trees of the same species. So if conditions are favorable, the female flowers set acorns, which mature over the summer and drop in the fall. Red oak trees, the lobes of their leaves are pointed. They develop acorns the same way white oaks do. But the nuts remain stunted, woody, I don't know, knobs, I guess you would call them, into the following spring. So in their second spring, these acorns begin growing again and drop as mature acorns in the fall. So white oaks require one year. Red oaks require two years to produce an acorn crop. But that, you know, it means that they have the potential, red oaks, to produce a crop of acorns every year as long as the conditions for fruit set are favorable but uh, typically it's every other year. And what are other factors? Oak tree's health, vitality, genetic, age, um, resources, uh, star signs, um, (laughs) all those kind of things can impact acorn numbers. What about the masting? There's something called masting where they produce more than normal, isn't there? Yeah, a late spring frost could blight the flowers, which would prevent acorn development, drought, flood, insects would play important roles. But oaks have that irregular cycle of boom and bust. So boom times are called mast years, Ah. mast years, and they occur every few years. Oh, I read all the time it's three to five years, four to seven years, two to five years. So I, I'm i just going to say every few years. And a mask year isn't a predictor of a severe winter. As a kid, I would hear yeah. that, oh, 
oh, we have a terrible winter because there's a lot of acorns. Oak trees might be practicing predator satiation. So in a mast year, predators, chipmunks, squirrels, turkeys, blue jays, deer, bear, can't eat all the acorns. It's just they're overwhelmed with them. So some will grow into future oak trees. Years of lean acorn production keep predator populations low, meaning there are fewer animals to eat all the acorns in a mast year and a higher proportion of the acorns go uneaten. So it seems like the tree is just... It gives them a few, few, couple years in a row, so the population of predators isn't very high, and then it just bombards them with it and says there aren't enough for you to eat all these guys. So I'm going to have all kinds of young oak trees out here. I always believed that 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 was the case. I thought that was why they masted, because it was going to be a bad winter. See, I thought that was a true thing, but apparently it's a myth. I think it's a myth. Yeah, it, uh, I it, I wish all that stuff was true. Some of some of it is, and you know, a lot of it have uh, a little bit of truth in them, though yeah. enough, I guess, just to keep it going. And I found that there's no use for the most part telling somebody that those things aren't real true because it doesn't matter. They've heard it all their life, and they're you know, we're going to keep believing the things we've been told all our life, no matter what. So, uh, a lady found, she found a possum on the road and it had been hit. It wasn't playing possum. It was a gone possum. And there were two baby possums in there. She took it up to the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, which was what a nice thing for her to do. But she said, I didn't ask him this, but when are young possums independent? And possums that are seven inches long, and that's not counting the tail, they are old enough to survive on their own. So they don't have to be very big. They just start out small, but that's that's too bad. I often wondered how a a possum mother knew if her babies were really sleeping or (laughs) or just playing possum, maybe, I would they'd be good at that but how, how many babies I, do they generally have oh gosh they have huge numbers of babies they just keep uh i what did somebody tell me the other day they thought they saw one with 12 12 babies Woo. so um I, they can have really huge litters that and they have to have that many because they don't that you know they don't survive very well they just uh, they get hit by things. They, that things happen to baby possums. Uh, various critters will get them. They are not good at running away. They don't really have much of a defense. What do they do? They uh, <laughs> roll over, kiss at us, and then they <laughs> pretend they're dead. But I know one said there was twelve, and I remember talking to a person who rehabilitated possums. And they said they have room to uh, nurse 13. Oh, wow. So, so 12 would be about it. You yeah. wouldn't want to have a whole lot more going on there. So, But they are, I think they're, I think possums are cute. I, I like possums. They just, uh, they don't harm much. They just eat anything and everything. They don't 
seem to, I never hear them complaining about anything. Are there any cartoon characters that are possums? I'm trying to think. Is there? Yep, Pogo. Pogo, I don't remember that one. Hmm. Pogo Possum was uh, driven, driven, written by Walt Kelly, oh. and Pogo said, we have the, met the enemy, and he is us. Oh, okay. <laughs> they made a lot of posters out of Pogo, and uh, Pogo, and I'm looking up on my shelf here, I've got three characters, those little, they're like action figures without the action part, <laughs> and I've got three of them up here, Borgar. Hound and a few of those. I don't have Pogo. I wish I did Aww. someday. Maybe I'll get crazy and find a Pogo. But my dad used to read Pogo to me. I'd go down and get the paper, come in and help with the milking. Between cows, dad would read the comic section to me, and he'd read Pogo, but there was a lot of uh, political witticisms and things in there that I had no Aww. idea what they were talking about. But yet I, I just really enjoyed it. It was uh, uh, just so cute and and well-drawn. So I, I like Pogo. Maybe that's why I like possums. Maybe. It's because of Pogo. <laughs> yeah. And I sometimes call them Pogo when I'm outside there trying not to step on them at night. Because they just, uh, I've, oh, I think it was last winter I was out there doing something. Um, there was a full moon. So I hate missing the opportunity not to walk during a full moon. And I just about stepped on a possum because he saw him, he, he heard me coming. I'm sure he didn't see me. So he took off a little bit on the run, if you can call that running, and he ran right into a shepherd's hook, the base. Oof. And he kind of bonked, and <laughs> then he turned around and tried to run past me, and I pretty stepped on him, and I thought, boy, here we were both going to be lying on the ground out there in the snow and my wife would have to come out and get the possum out from under me and <laughs> that uh, we both went our separate ways i might add happily well where do so they I, live usually i guess i you know they, i see them walking around or on mostly dead on the road is where i see most of them but where do they normally make their home if you look at their little feet those they look like little hands, mm-hmm. and they have little fingernails on them, just like we do. So they they wouldn't be very good at digging, because you know us, we can dig in the garden a little bit, but if we got to do any serious digging, <laughs> boy, we'd be losing our fingernails mm-hmm. and everything. So they're the same way. So they will take over a burrow of another oh, animal. Okay. They will go in a brush pile, uh, probably under a deck, uh, under a pile of rocks. And uh, anything like that where they can find uh, some security and some safety from the weather. Hmm. So that's what we all try to find, I guess. You mentioned how Uh, they are running away from you at at the time. Something I find when I'm mowing lawn is frogs and toads are very abundant this time of year. What's going on? Are they migrating? Are they breeding? Are they doing something? Why there's so many of them now? Yeah, but you got a lot of the little young ones that yep. are out there hopping around trying to eat a lot so they can grow. Oh. And then uh, won't be long before they'll start heading towards, some of them will be heading towards water, the frogs anyway, a lot of them. Where do the toads but, uh, go? And some of the toads will uh, head towards water, but boy, otherwise toads... Oh, it, Again, a few years ago, uh, somebody had an egress window, 
and they had a like a plank in the bottom, and you know how egress window mm-hmm. stuff gets in there, uh, vegetation, and they found uh, a number of toads in there. Okay. So they were uh, obviously spent the winter in there under that, and then they couldn't get out. How do they know so where the water is? You know, I always wondered that. I mean, they don't have a map in there so little, so how do they know? I know. I know. I I wish I knew. They just, <laughs> uh, I, I wish they, they apparently have some kind of map in their head that's uh, mm-hmm. instinctive. I, I I don't know how they do it, but they head that way. Um Toads, again, they survive winter by hibernating. They absorb moisture and oxygen from the surrounding soil. I know a lot of them, uh, they like to get fairly deep because you want to get below the frost line here. So, uh, But these that were in that uh, egress window, I can't imagine they were that deep. But mm-hmm. I thought about it later. Maybe they were getting some heat from the house mm. that was going out there because... Uh, they survived. He found them in there alive. Oh, it was kind of neat. But they um, toads aren't totally freeze tolerant, so they need to get down their ways. Do they so stay they in the get, water ever? The toads? Oh, uh, they'll get uh, like the young ones will get down under the banks adjacent to streams. Okay, but not or in under the water. Logs or uh, what do some people call those those roots that come out like root wads or sure. root feet, mm-hmm. and under large rocks. And then they would find like a chipmunk burrow. That would be good if oh. the chipmunk didn't uh, wasn't upset about it. They could get down in there. So frogs, or toads rather, would find all those things that would be, uh, uh, and sometimes they will burrow in, or go down in a burrow in groups. So it will be like a communal hibernation. So they find a prefab house, basically. And they really do. (laughs) You know, I'm on a board up in Alaska, and we just got a prefab house, and we got it from Oregon. Mm. We ordered it before COVID hit, and we just got it now. So it would... uh, um, it wasn't really a nightmare, but it was close enough that yeah. we could call it one, and it was something else. So, And we thought we needed it right away, and apparently we didn't. <laughs> well, because we you were didn't. all kept at home during COVID, I suppose. <laughs> I guess, because yeah. we, we like to put interns in those things, so oh. we have purpose <laughs> for those. So and it was a brand new one. It was a dandy, but it it just took forever to get it. I do want to thank everybody for listening. It's always a pleasure being on KMSU and talking to Karen. Thanks for sitting on the front porch with us. A neighbor, a good neighbor, all my neighbors are good neighbors. A good neighbor ran over one of his wife's hens, one of his wife's laying hens. It might have been one of those that laid the blue eggs they get there, which is sort of like a golden egg except not worth as much. It was an accident. The hen hadn't used the chicken crosswalk. They have a dedicated chicken crosswalk. And it didn't look both ways before crossing the road. I do that before crossing my living room. (laughs) My neighbor didn't tell his wife. And he wasn't trying to keep it a secret. He didn't have to tell her. She saw him carrying the dead fowl. Uh-oh. And there hadn't been time to find a shovel and bury it before anyone saw the dead chicken. But my good neighbor would never do such a thing. He's no Tony Soprano. 
we all remember that chicken fondly for its wonderful blue eggs, and we hope it's gone to that big hen house in the sky. Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Well, thank you, Al. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, happy bird watching. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Al.